Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So we are continuing our study of the Srimad Bhagavatam and we are just the last uh, um, point about uh, that Narada is making about um, <coughs> Bhakti. So, the, you know, his, his prayers and, and this last one is specifically about Bhakti. So this is Canto 6, Chapter 16, Verse 25. Okay. <coughs> oh, transcendent the Lord. Excuse me. I think I have to sneeze. <laughs> Or maybe not. <laughs> o transcendental Lord, who are situated in the topmost planet of the spiritual world, your two lotus feet are always massaged by a multitude of the best devotees with their lotus bud hands. You are the supreme personality of Godhead, complete in six opulences. You are the supreme person mentioned in the Purusha Shukta prayers. You are most perfect. Self, you are the most perfect self-realized master of all mystic power. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto you. Uh, I, I always marvel at how uh, the Shastra likes to talk about lotus everything, right? So lotus bud hands is the uh, description of the devotee's hands. In the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, it is said that the absolute truth is one, but is manifested in different features as Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. The previous verses describe the Brahman and Paramatma feature of the Absolute Truth. Now this prayer is offered in Bhakti Yoga to the Absolute Supreme Person. A little further on, the devotees may sometimes not be competent to serve the lotus feet of the Lord. And therefore the Lord is addressed as Parma Parameshtin, he is the supreme person, yet he is very kind to the devotees. No one is competent to serve the Lord, but even if a devotee is not competent, the merciful Lord accepts the humble attempt of the devotee. Om Ajnana Timarandasya Yananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Unmilitam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. So, I think that this is this last uh, two sentences, or la actually it's the last sentence. No one is competent to serve the Lord, but even if a devotee is not competent, the merciful Lord accepts the humble attempt of the devotee. So on one hand, I think what it seems Prabhupada is coming to is that no devotee thinks themselves competent to serve the Lord. They're, they're, they're in that, that mood of humility and understanding just how great Krishna is and our in comparative comparison to him, uh, our relative significance and our relative purity. And we see this, of course, in, in so many of the prayers of the great Acharyas, uh, our Srila Prabhupada, um, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur's prayers, um, Narottamadas Thakur's prayers, and, and in other uh, religious traditions as well. The, this, this mood of uh, humility springs forward naturally as a byproduct of, of pure devotion and of connecting with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then the, and then the last part, the last part of that sentence, that the merciful Lord accepts the humble attempt of the devotee. And that should be, 
a source of great inspiration for us mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we, we, we're trying our best, or at least yeah, we're trying, <laughs> and hopefully we're trying to try our best to serve, to serve Krishna. And Krishna appreciates that. Um, even if we're not, as Prabhupada uses the word here, he, uh, competent, but he, but our humble attempt of service is, um, you could say that if we're really kind of understanding things in the right way, that that last half of the sentence is what keeps us going, is what nourishes us. That despite, despite our shortcomings, that Krishna accepts the humble attempt of the devotee. And therefore the devotee sometimes pray, prays to Krishna, you please somehow accept me. Um, there's also that prayer. There's a prayer that, after, that Pujaris, people who serve the deity, um, that they say for asking forgiveness after, after it, uh, mantra hinam, kriyayam, you know, what, what, you know, all the mistakes I made, you know, it, I tried, I tried, please forgive them. <laughs> so that is a very inspiring, um, sentence, that last sentence of, of Srila Prabhupada's purport. And re, in regards to this, uh, this mantra, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he adds, uh, he adds something, he adds this. He says, having explained the knowledge aspect of this great mantra, Narada now speaks of its perfection in bhakti rasa. And quote, O Lord with lotus feet, which are massaged with the affection by the bud-like lotus hands of many excellent devotees. The hint is, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, please establish me also in the service of massaging your feet. <laughs> Isn't that nice? But you are very low. But um, oh, but the Lord may ask, but you are very low. How can I engage you in such a high service? The devotee says, oh, Parameshtin, you are supreme among supreme lords and can do what others cannot. <laughs> so Krishna can allow us to serve him even if we're not uh, totally up to the mark. And that is inspirational for us. Some thoughts, questions, comments on that, on, or on this verse? That was uh, the homework from last week. Hare Krishna Prabhu. So, Hare Krishna. Uh, as we are reading the translation and purport that Krishna uh, still accepts, even though we may be incompetent, he accepts our service. And I'm reminded he's Bhavagrihi Janardhan. He, um, he accepts the attitude of service. And that actually gives us a lot of hope in spite of our shortcomings. Mm, yes. Thank you. I'm just seeing if I can find that mantra real quick. Um, yeah, so these are some of the prayers that the Prajari says. Mantrahinam, Kriyahinam, Bhaktihinam, Janardana, Yapujitam, Mayadheva, Paripurna, Tarastume. Oh, my Lord, O Janardan, whatever little puja or worship that has been performed by me, although it is without devotion, without proper mantras, and without proper performance, please let that become complete. Tadattam, Bhakti, Matrena, Pattam, Pushpam, Valam, Jalam, Avedittam, Nivedam, Tu, Tad, Krihanu, uh, nanu kampaya. Whatever has been offered with devotion, the leaf of 
the flower, the water, the fruit, the food offer, please accept it out of your causeless mercy. Okay. Um, yeah, there you go. So the, the, those are some of the prayers that the that devotees chant after they uh, do some puja. Anything else on this point? Hey, Hare Krishna. I have a quick question. Yes. A lot of these mantras are in Sanskrit, and not many of us can actually pronounce them correctly. Or can <laughs> are you making fun them. of my? You making fun of my pronunciation, Jake? No, no. I'm just. Uh, I'm just saying. You know, like is, is, is there is there is it um, more potent to be able to say them in Sanskrit? Can we say them in English uh, from the heart, obviously? And would they have the same effect? They have, having the same effect. Um, that's up to Krishna, right? And Krishna, as uh, Ananda Rupa just quoted, I believe she said, Bhava Grahi Janard, and Krishna accepts the, the sentiments uh, that we have more than, you know, the uh, perfection, just like the devotee who, off, who was in such ecstasy offered Krishna the banana peel instead of the banana and threw out the banana, right? So so that's that's there. And it's not it's not either or J. It's and why not why not learn to pronounce Sanskrit nicely? Uh, His Holiness Lokanath Maharaj has a really nice book, very easy to read book on um, on learning Sanskrit. And when we quote, I mean, when you think about it, let's say we're we're quoting a verse from Bhagavad Gita, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyom. Isn't it so wonderful that we're actually saying the exact words that the Supreme Lord said? Right. And so we don't have to become Sanskrit scholars. Some of us will, but Prabhupada would sometimes say there's so many Sanskrit scholars loitering in the streets of Calcutta. <laughs> you know, um, so th- the real thing is devotional service. At the same time, it can be part of our devotional service to learn pronunciation and maybe even some of the uh, at least basic subtleties of the language. How does that sound, Jay? Can't that sounds you. very good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a nice book, uh, Luke of Mars. Book, yeah. and, 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 you know, it, it's... <laughs> Prabhupada actually made a joke about it. Again, if we had our, uh, our um, researcher here, we would, um, uh, we would have it, but uh, Suganda. But um, there's one place where Prabhupada's making fun of uh, the devotees because they're mispronouncing, they're saying Vande Guru Sri Charanaravindam, which is the last line of the uh, prayers that we say, uh, uh, eight times we say that prayer uh, at Mangalarti time. And he's saying that they should be saying Guru, not Guru. And therefore they're basically saying, I offer my obeisances to uh, the cow. <laughs> Who's my spiritual man? My spiritual master is a cow. And, and Prabhupada laughs. He says, anyway, Krishna understands what you're, what you're doing, uh, you know, who you mean it for. Um, and at the same time, you know, we do, we do sometimes, you know, make, uh, mistakes. Yes, yep, prasadad, bhagavad prasadu, yes, ya prasadan, nagatika topi is the right pronunciation. And if you say, Yes, yeah, prasadad bhagavad. You say yes, yes, yeah, prasadad. You then it's you saying my it's my mercy. Um, the, the saying is that by the um, uh, the blessing of spiritual master, one makes spiritual advancement. Without his mercy, uh, 
um, destination unknown. But if you but but the mispronunciation says without my mercy, destination unknown. <laughs> so so it, it, it's it's good. And also even for outreach, if you do run into people who know Hindi or you know, um, they may not know Sanskrit, but they know Hindi and there's so many similarities that they just look at you and say, gosh, you don't know how to say right. Mm-hmm. So so I think spending a little time on it is as a general I, rule is good. Hello. Okay. CK, let us go on to the next uh, verses. And we are going up. Hold on a second. We're going, oh, we're just going up to the next verse. Verse 26. <laughs> verse 26. So Sukadeva Swami now is speaking, and he says that Narada, having become the spiritual master of Chitraketu, instructed him fully in this prayer because Chitraketu was fully surrendered. O King Parikshit, Narada then left with the great Angira for the topmost planet known as Pramalok. Purport. When Angira had first come, this is a very interesting purport. When Angira had first come to visit King Chitraketu, he did not bring Narada with him. However, after the death of Chitraketu's son, Angira brought Narada to instruct King Chitraketu about Bhakti Yoga. The difference was uh, that in the beginning, Chitraketu was not in a temperament of renunciation. But after the death of his son, when he was overwhelmed by his great plight, he was awakened to the platform of renunciation by instructions regarding the falsity of this material world and material possessions. It is only at this stage that bhakti yoga can be instructed. As long as one is attached to material enjoyment, bhakti yoga cannot be understood. And then at the last paragraph, as soon as Chitraketu understood the philosophy of Vairagya Vidya, the knowledge of renunciation. He could understand the process of bhakti yoga. In this regard, Srila Sarvabhoma Vata has said, Vairagya Vidya Nija Bhakti Yoga. Vairagya Vidya and Bhakti Yoga are parallel lines. One is essential for understanding the other. It is also said, Bhakti Pareshanubhavo Viraktir Anyatra Cha. Advancement in devotional service or Krishna consciousness is characterized by increasing renunciation of material enjoyment. Narada Muni is the father of devotional service, and therefore just to bestow causeless mercy upon King Chitraketu, Angira brought Narada Muni to instruct the king. These instructions were extremely effective. Anyone who follows in the footsteps of Narada Muni is certainly a pure devotee. This is a fascinating uh, point that Prabhupada is making here, or fascinating, what I mean by that is there's, we can look at it from different angles of vision. So here Prabhupada quotes the verse from the Bhagavad Gita, Pogaishvaya Prashaktanam, Taya Parita Chaitasam, Vyavasaya Mikola, Buddhi Samadhao Nabhitiyate. That's the, um, the 44th verse of the second chapter. And the translation is that in the minds of those who are too attached to sense enjoyment and material opulence, and who are bewildered by such thing, the resolute determination of the bhakti to the Supreme Lord does not take place of devotional service. Okay. So here in this purport, Prabhupada is emphasizing that mm, being in a renounced spirit or understanding the, the nature of this world, um, the, is is almost essential for for taking to Krishna consciousness, 
And uh, okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So um, yeah. So there's different ways of looking at this, right? We know from the Bhagavad Gita also, Krishna says, Chatur Vidha Bhajante Mam, Jana Sukrito No Arjuna. He says that four kinds of people come to uh, Krishna consciousness. And two of them are in this kind of renounced, um, or you could even say desperate mindset that, that Chitra Ketu is in, right? One is the desire of wealth, and one is the person who's very distressed. The other two are the inquisitive, and one who's really seeking knowledge of the absolute. So yes, we can understand that in this pastime, you could just imagine well, after what Shitraketu saw, his dead son coming back to life and then saying, who are you? I've had so many fathers, so many mothers, who are you? Right? <laughs> Whoa, renunciate, you know, such a incredible experiential learning that took place. And so Prabhupada's emphasizing that in this purport that that they he was you know when Angira came by himself he wasn't really ready to hear that much, but when he but then after he went through that experience or or he brought Narada to help him with that experience actually, and Narada therefore could can could then inject uh, the understanding of bhakti. So. That's one way of looking at all uh, at this, that he was ripe for a very deep lesson. Um, and we, we know this also, right? That sometimes when we're explaining Krishna consciousness to someone, and if they've really been through a lot in their life, some real challenges in their life, it's not always, but it's often that they're very receptive. Right, they they're looking for some shelter. They're looking for some meaning to what happened to them. Right, they, there's diff, they're 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 open often to hear Krishna's teachings, to hear what we have to say. Okay, so that's one side of the picture, and it's I think it's totally um, um, yeah. Prabhupada's emphasizing it because it's really very much connected to the Chitraketu pastime. And another way to look at it is that by practicing bhakti, renunciation and knowledge come automatically without having to make a separate endeavor. Vasudeva, this is from the first canto of the Bhagavatam, Vasudeva Bhagavati, Bhakti Yoga Prayojita, Janayat Yasu Vairagyam, Gyanam Chayat Ahaitukam, that Ahaitukam causelessly, Vasudeva uh, Bhagavati. Uh, <laughs> vairagya and knowledge come about. So one way to look at it is, okay, in the beginning, one has some understanding, of, you know, like, oh, this material world is not a great place. Then they hear Krishna conscious, they take to devotional service, and then a much deeper renunciation comes about causelessly or, or, or almost we could say automatically just by being attracted to the beauty of Krishna, attracted to hearing and chanting about Krishna, then we just don't um, have the desires for the material side of life. And this this point will come out uh, more clearly in verse 39, by the way. But do you see how they're, they're both, are, both are true? Um, renounce, you know, having that renounced spirit uh, or, or understanding the material world as a place of suffering can help us 
in our coming to Krishna consciousness and being open to things. Um, and deeper renunciation really comes about um, by, by the attraction to Krishna. I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's fair to say deeper um, because Krishna, you know, bestows that upon us. And the challenge with the first kind of renunciation is it can sometimes make our heart hard. So it's the person who's has some realization about this world and then comes in touch with Krishna's teachings or in contact with the devotee. So some thoughts on this uh, important point. Questions, comments? Hare Krishna, this is Jiva Tattvas. Yes, So, Srila Prabhupada, when he came to America, he appreciated one point that, uh, you know, even though the young boys and girls, they were opposing all the war and everything, the moment was they were already renounced, right? They had renounced their father's wealth, homes. And he said that that made it easier for them to take to Krishna consciousness. He was saying that, you know, that renouncing propensity is very difficult. People normally seek knowledge, right? It's easy to run for knowledge because sometimes people are looking for name, fame, and glories when they seek knowledge. But knowledge should lead to renunciation. And in India, as Srila Prabhupada had also tried earlier before coming to America, is where he said that people are very religious. They're very much oriented towards progression in life, but exactly what is covered is they're looking for sense gratification. They're looking for prosperity. They're looking, staying attached to the family. So it, renunciation becomes very hard while, you know, in America coming to the place where, you know, and that's why he was appreciating that the young boys and girls here were already renounced. They had renounced, you know, the parents' property and other aspects. And this was social, even some of the social uh, traditions to take to Krishna consciousness. And so they were able to come to Bhakti and then with knowledge, they were able to quickly advance to the pure stage. Thank, thank you. Other questions, comments? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's just interesting that um, the unhappy person has a little bit of an advantage here because uh, if you're unhappy, that's a type of attachment too. You feel like you're not getting what's valuable, right? But you're also getting the bad end of it. I mean, you're attached and you're not even happy. So uh, they have a little bit of an advantage coming into this. If you show them these points, you could say, well, look, it's going to be easier for you because you're going to realize that you don't even have to be unhappy or happy. You, you don't have to be attached, right? If you could do that, they actually have a lower, kind of an easier time getting into it in yeah. a way. Think about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Krishna agrees with you in the Gita where he says those four kinds of people. But yes, that's a good point. Yeah. Anything else? Jay, you want to say something? Yeah. Is there another dimension to this as well? That we can only receive the knowledge once we're ready. Because Chitraketu wasn't ready at the first instance. Yeah, when there, is, there is a very good uh, uh, definition in Sanskrit. Uh, uh, the word Vairagya or what we refer as renunciation. Uh, but this definition comes from uh, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And I love that definition, which says, Drastanu Sravika Vishaya Vitrusnasya Vasikara Sangnya Vairagyam. So Vairagya is defined as Drastanu 
Shravika. Drashtam Shravik means those objects that I have already experienced or those who I, about whom I have heard. For example, people are hearing that if I go to heaven, there will be music going on, there will be, you know, uh, apsaras dancing there. So these are the other trishna or other desires that I've heard of, but I have not experienced it. So whether it is experienced or heard, even having no desire for any of these is defined as Vairagya. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and we've also talked a little bit about um, the difference between Vairagya and Viraktir. Okay. And Viraktir meaning kind of indifference to as opposed to Vairagya, conscious rejection of. Uh, uh, Jay, Jay, did you, uh, what was your question again? It was just a realization that, you know, we can't receive this knowledge until we're ready. Until the time. Right? Until yeah. the time is ready. So, uh, well, that, that's an interesting uh, question. Uh, I think individually that works for a lot of us. You know what I mean? Um, I think if we talked about, you know, to mention to each person on this call or when people took to Krishna consciousness, they, they might have said, yeah, the timing was helpful. Or we could even say the timing that Srila Prabhupada came to America, right? If he had come in the 50s when they, America had just won World War II and it was, you know, uh, chicken in every pot and two cars in every garage and, you know, Eisenhower was president and... Um, material prosperity was the word it might have you know he came at a time where there were there hippies and people who were renouncing that you know so timing timing can be um a good point as you're pointing out in this in this uh pastime that chitraketu was ready to hear and that's what angira was saying um we can't always calculate that like let's say we're out distributing books we can't like you know uh know everyone's history that we're approaching a total stranger and say, I wonder if this person is ready for this or not. You know, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, and also sometimes people use it as an excuse, right? We, Jay, we, have you ever heard somebody said, yes, yes, I will become Christian. When Krishna wants, then I will chant. Then I will surrender you know when krishna wants and basically they're saying you know if you know hindi bhagme you know later later <laughs> right so so what you're saying is totally true and i think it's very much an individual thing um and at the same time we can't always make that calculation we we may for example i've seen also that when i've tried to encourage people to take to krishna consciousness and they don't take at first and i just keep friendly with them and keep you know and then it's amazing how you're right sometimes at the right time the coin drops so to speak and uh i know one person i, I won't mention the name but one of our leading devotees here in dc whose uh wife was always like uh you know i like kirtan but i just want you to know i am not a devotee i am not a devotee i am not a devotee i like kirtan but i'm not a devotee now she's like the most enthusiastic devotee. <laughs> so, so her husband just kept spoon feeding her Krishna conscious and gradually she just got attracted. So, 
so there's, I think there's a lot of validity in what you're saying. And it's, and it's an individual thing. And that doesn't stop us from trying to help others and see when the time is right for them. How does that sound? Okay. Sounds really good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Henry, you want to say something about this? You know, I was just, I wanted to ask about, um, you'd said something about becoming hard hearted. How do we, is that, or we have to be careful not to become hard hearted well, a few minutes ago? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, thank you for that. So if we, if a person becomes renowned, like for example, if Chitra Ketu hadn't um, met Narada, uh, we'll just use him as an example. Okay. <clears throat> then someone might, so organies in general, people who see the suffering in this world, they, they sometimes just want to reject everything. Okay. So he was an enjoyer. He was, you know, he's a king, you know, and, uh, and then this happened in which say, you know, I'm just going to the forest and, you know, try to merge with the Supreme or, or whatever. And that, that's sometimes of rejecting, you know, so he might have rejected all of his wives, rejected his, you know, his citizens, rejected, just, bleh, 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 bleh. So, so it's all total my, it's all temporary, it's all useless. So that, that can enter our hearts sometimes when we learn Gyan, when we learn uh, the, the nature of this world. Right, that you know, darshan to have that darshan of oh, birth, death, disease, and old age. That can sometimes, you know, like you know, I'm I'm just gonna reject everything, you know. Um, you know, if if you're a, if you're a male, oh, women are just Maya and total. You know, I spit at the thought. Yeah, uh, and sometimes we spit at them instead of at the thought, right? So there's so does that make sense, Henry? You know, when we get into that kind of mood. Yes. Yeah. So I guess, you know, that um, like you were saying, I mean, we really have to have, as we're advancing in Krishna consciousness, there, there's a danger that maybe we might become a little arrogant because we're renounced or we feel that we've advanced or we know something that nobody else knows. But I, I think to me, I think the most important thing is it's really important to remain compassionate. To yes. Everyone. Yes, exactly. And, and Rupa Goswami uh, has given us the perfect solution. So we've talked about this before, to not getting hard-hearted. Okay, because you can, when you give up material uh, enjoyment, one thing is you're kind of in a rejecting mood, and you can, like you just said, Henry, you can become proud, right? So he says, Anyabhi lashita sunyam, to make your desires other than serving Krishna sunyam, zero. And then he explains what those are, jnana, karma, anavritam, that they're, they're jnana thinking and trying to merge with the Lord, or karma, trying to enjoy this world, um, and uh, karmadi, and et cetera, yoga, et cetera. Um, and then he says, jnana, uh, karma, anavritam, anu kulyena, krishna, anu, silanam bhakti, anu. Ah, I'm quoting the wrong verse. <laughs> uh, that wasn't the one I wanted to quote. Uh, I wanted to quote, Anashaktasya vishayan yartahamu upayunjita nirbanda krishna sambande yuktam vairagya uchite. That real renunciation is not rejecting everything of this world, but it's seeing the krishna sambanda. It's seeing the relationship of this world to krishna. So, uh, so again, using Hegel's example of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, 
The thesis is everything in this world is meant for my enjoyment. The antithesis is Vairagya, nothing is meant for my enjoyment. The synthesis is everything is meant for Krishna's enjoyment. And that actually really creates the right kind. So, so you get the renunciation without the hard-heartedness, right? Because you get the bhakti, the, you get to offer everything to Krishna. So it, it's just incredibly genius, <laughs> that, that verse. So how to become renounced without becoming hard-hearted. You see everything in connection with Krishna in bhakti, in love. Okay. Thanks for asking that, Henry. Okay, shall we move on? We are going up to verse 28. We're not going far today. I know that, I know we didn't, we're not covering a lot of verses today, but they were just such amazing purports. I couldn't kind of skim over them. Okay, so the next verse, 27. Fasting and drinking only water. Chitraketu for one week continuously chanted with great care and attention the mantra given by Narada Muni. O King Pariksit, after only one week of repeatedly practicing the mantra received from the spiritual master, Chitraketu achieved the rule of the planet of the Vidyadharas as an intermediate product of his spiritual advancement in knowledge. And Prabhupada writes the second sentence onward. A devotee need not practice yoga, karma, or jnan to achieve a successful result. Just what we said. Devotional service alone is competent to award a devotee all material power. A pure devotee, however, is never attached to material power, although he gets it very easily without personal endeavor. Chitraketu received this side benefit of his devotional service, which he rigidly performed in accordance with the instructions of Narada. So we want to be careful that we don't get intoxicated by any side benefits. Um, we may become a very good speaker uh, by practicing bhakti or a very good singer, or we may become well off, or we may um, be able to convince others about things. That's not our focus and we need to be focused to, to be successful in, in, in going back home, back to Godhead and loving Krishna. So we want to be careful about the side benefits being a distraction. Just like in practice, practice of yoga, you know, there's the eight siddhis that one can achieve. And those siddhis become, can become a distraction that takes the yogi away from actually perfecting his, 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 yoga, his yoga practice. So similarly for us, we maybe get this or that benefit, but it shouldn't distract us. Just like I can honestly say, oh, yeah, and so there's so many things that can distract us. So we were just talking about the distractions of opulences in bhakti. I must admit, put my right hand up, I got distracted this week by watching way too much news about what uh, happened in the uh, capital today. I mean, it was, it was a little connected to my job because some of the police uh, who were there, not the Capitol Police, but the Park Police that were there uh, worked with the Department of the Interior where I worked. But still, uh, I got distracted. You know, I didn't, I didn't stop chanting or anything like that, but I, you know, I, I spent more time than I than, um, was favorable to my devotional practices in, in that news. So we want to be careful about anything 
that 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 distracts us. Um, I would, like Henry was asking me about about um, the Govardhan retreat, and it was really wonderful um, listening from three thirty till eight o'clock. But at this end, not but, and it was a little challenging for me because then I had to start, I had to chant my rounds later in the day because at the time I would normally be chanting my rounds. I was listening to the katas. So that, so it kind of, between that and watching too much news this past week has kind of thrown me off kilter a little bit. And I'm hoping to get more, more focused again today. But, 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 but the point being that this is, we're, we've been talking about a specific kind of, potential distraction, getting some of the opulences that one may acquire by being a devotee. Um, and there are all kinds of other distractions. And we want to be careful about distractions. As the poet wrote, distracted from distractions by distractions. And I can honestly say it's one of my challenges in my life. Um, also, multitasking is one of the challenges. You know, in, I'm just so, I just got so used to it that I almost feel like I'm not being, uh, not using my time well if I don't multitask. So I'm really trying to go back to being a single tasker, which is much better for, in so many ways, even for our Krishna consciousness. Some questions or comments on this verse? Prabhu, I have a question. Anji, yes, Mataji. So, you know, when we are chanting, uh, at times we really feel uh, that maybe we, you know, when our mind is not really cooperating, we feel like maybe we should listen to Prabhupada's lecture while chanting, uh, you know, or uh, I mean, I know there are good strategies to look at Mahamantra, look at Krishna's pictures to help, you know, mind cooperate with us. But listening to Prabhupada's lectures... Uh, listening to devotional music uh, is that okay while we're chanting or uh, yeah, taking a break are, while we are chanting um i wonder sometimes if senior devotees do that at all or everybody's like very fixed and focused <laughs> i'm just asking like how does everybody do i don't know i i wouldn't uh, want to say yes definitely no problem um I'm not talking about all the time. No, I understand that. I understand that. Yeah. It, 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 I won't probably comment on that, but taking a break to listen to something or um, even Sachinandan Swami, you know, he's not, he's not saying we should do this, but he's offering it as an option to take a short break, do some pranayama mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, sit, sit properly and do some pranayama that, that, that helps cool the mind and focus the mind. We don't have to, you know, he wasn't, he was very careful to say it's not absolutely necessary because it's not directly bhakti, but, you know, sometimes doing, you know, there's a connection between the breath and the mind. And so the problem is that our mind is also, is affected by the modes of passion and ignorance. So doing something like a little pranayama can sometimes put it back in the mode of goodness. Um, one thing that, I mean, one way that it might work. I remember in the Japa retreats at Govardhan, um, Buridhan Prabhu would sometimes, as during the Japa session, he would sometimes say things into the microphone. He says, don't stop chanting. And then he would say, you know, um, focus, make the, uh, make the, you're chanting a, a devotional offering, uh, do your best. He would say a few things like that while we were chanting to keep us focused. So, um, 
sometimes I'll even play the the portion of a uh, I'll I'll play that part. It's it's on the vig.org um, website, and I'll have that going while I'm chanting because it's that's not a real interruption. It's not a whole lecture or anything. It's just some little uh, encouragements while chanting. And what about uh, do like <laughs> since you mentioned multitasking, um, I'm curious when we are listening to Prabhupada's lectures, for example, um, is it okay to do something in parallel? I mean, will that be considered inattentiveness or I mean? Well, the the general suggestion is that we want to we would it's like let's say you're cleaning, or you know something like that, which doesn't take a lot of cognitive energy, right? You've done it a hundred, you've done it a thousand times. Let's say you know you're you're cleaning your house, you know, sweeping and mopping or something like that. You've done it so many times, it doesn't take a lot of you know. Uh, so yes, doing doing things that don't take a lot of cognitive ironing or you know um, things like that. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it's. Uh, I, I know people who who even do things like knitting or something like that. And they they say it actually helps them focus uh, on the pravachan. So I think that's okay. But the idea would be to you'd want we'd want to avoid things that take uh, our cognitive energy, right? Like you know, um, uh, I wouldn't want to be listening to a lecture and preparing for this class at the same time as an example, right? Because they both take cognitive energy. And, and you know, some, some um, research is showing that it's not such a great idea to drive and do that. Because although we think it doesn't take a lot of cognitive energy, it, maybe it does. Um, sometimes I will lis I'll listen to a lecture or something like that or while I'm driving, if I'm on like a straight highway, you know, like I drove from Florida back to uh, D.C. recently. So... Uh, but that, that's, a, I think that's a pretty good um, measuring stick, that whether it takes a lot of our mental energy or not. Is that all right, Matsuji? Yes, Prabhu. That's helpful. Thank you. Okay. Shall we sally forth? Carry on. We're going up to verse 31. So verse 29. Thereafter, within a very few days, by the influence of the mantra, that Chitraketu had practiced, his mind became increasingly enlightened in spiritual progress, and he attained shelter at the lotus feet of Anantadev. So we must imagine how amazing the Chitraketu was, and also how deep that last lesson was, because it's just a few days, you know, we're thinking, God, I've been doing this for 40 years, and I'm not having those kind of realizations. Upon reaching the shelter of Lord Shesha, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Chitraketu saw that he was as white as the white fibers of a lotus flower. So there's another lotus flower analogy. He was dressed in bluish garments and adorned with a brilliantly glittering helmet, armlets, belt, and bangles. His face was smiling and his eyes were reddish. He was surrounded by such exalted, liberated persons as Sanat Kumara. Text 31. As soon as Chitraketu Maharaj, Maharaj Chitraketu saw the Supreme Lord, he was cleansed of all material contamination and situated in his original Krishna consciousness being completely purified. He became silent and grave, and because of love for the Lord, tears fell from his eyes and his hair stood on end. With great devotion and love, he offered his respectful obeisances unto the original personality of Godhead. And Prabhupada just has this one sentence that's so powerful, right? He says, if 
one regularly sees the Supreme Personality of Godhead in the temple, one will gradually be disinfected of all material desires simply by visiting the temple and seeing the deity. So, and it's a challenge, right? In, in the COVID times, maybe, maybe some of you are going to the temple, because I know the temple's quite careful that they don't allow more than 10 people in the temple room at any given time. You have to wear a mask. You have to social distance and, and all of that. Um, and others of us are being, you know, more strict, just saying, listen, it's just not, I can't take any chances. Um, I'll have Darshan, you know, by looking at the photos on Instagram or whatever. Um, but it's a, still a powerful statement about how powerful the, the Darshan is, that by having that Darshan, one is gradually disinfected of all material desires simply by visiting the temple and seeing the deity. So again, the power of especially punch anga bhakti, the five most potent items of devotional service, hearing, uh, hearing the holy name, hearing the Bhagavatam, associating with devotees, worshiping the deity, and the holy toms, holy places, or making our house a holy dom. So any thoughts on this point about the deity? Yeah, I have a question. Yes. Just, I just had the realization when he used that word disinfectant, because he's often spoken of the material contamination, right? Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if anybody has really experienced that way, that, that it's like a, a contamination. Uh, I don't oh. really feel it that way, but... Okay. Uh, well, uh, you're asking uh, everyone. Do you want every, anyone? Uh, everyone, anyone anybody, to- if they really feel like they have realized that the material world is like a contamination to your soul... <laughs> I mean, to that extent that Prabhupada actually did, because he said it many, many, many times. Yeah. So he realized that. But I just wonder if anybody else had realized it. Anyone want to Prabhu? Yes. Yeah. Ahead, I, I just wanted to share my thoughts a little bit on that. So, um, yeah, before reading Prabhupada's teachings, I, I actually never had such... Um, idea about contamination in the world, contamina- contamination in our hearts and uh, these kind of thoughts, right? So once we start reading it, we start observing and also we are not supposed to judge. But but this is an observation definitely that going to temple or praying in front of deities, you know, uh, from your heart, it definitely brings a lot of peace within us. So we can identify at that moment that that versus when we are not doing it, there's a big difference in both the states, the states of our consciousness or how we feel in those situations. So definitely, you know, um, I mean, I'm trying to relate what you're saying. uh, and, And I thought about it. If we had not been approaching Krishna in that mood of sincerity or praying or engaging in any of the services you know versus just carrying on with the materialistic life you know and then thinking about all the experiences we have in that perspective if we see and look we can relate to it that what contamination is Prabhupada mm-hmm. talking about thank you I really like that oh, sorry did I cut you off yeah that's okay oh, I really like that so you're saying basically basically what you're saying is we get the realization of what contamination is by experiences of non-contamination 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's very sweet. Very nicely put. And then, so, yeah, so it's just like, um, yeah, if you don't know that everything is a certain way and then you hear about that and then you, ex you hear about something that's, and then you experience something that's not like that, then it becomes uh, um, somewhat of a realization at least. Yeah, that, especially when, you, and, then, and then individually when we experience some feelings of non-contamination and then we again experience some feelings of contamination, we see the juxtaposition of the two. Prabhu, can I add something else? Yes, sorry, I, didn't, I feel yeah, I might I, have cut you off before. No, 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 no. Just hearing to you further, I thought I should share this. Uh, let's take a simple example of prashadam. So as long as we did not offer it, you know, we had not started uh, offering bhoga or had the taste of prashadam, you know, we were used to eating what we were eating. And even now, if there is a situation that we have to accept some food which is not offered, we can observe a world of difference. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the simplest example we can consider uh, to understand this better. That's all. Okay. Thank you for that. So Andy, how does that, does that uh, satisfy your query? Yeah, I like the idea of the food because that's something I've taken to a lot. I, I try to offer food at home. Uh -huh. and I'll, I'll meditate if I go out somewhere and I'm not shy about doing that and eat something that's not offered to Krishna. I can meditate on the difference. Mm, nice. So yes. Good. And Divya, Divya Anandrabhu is, is also saying a similar thing that when you get a higher taste, you realize what is the lower taste. Yeah. And maybe for, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, anything else on this? Okay, then let us continue. We are going up to verse 34. With tears of love and affection, just see how quickly he became advanced. <laughs> Chichiketu repeatedly moistened the resting place of the Supreme Lord's lotus feet. Because his voice was choked in ecstasy, for a considerable time, he was unable to utter any of the letters of the alphabet to offer the Lord suitable prayers. Thereafter, by controlling his mind with his intelligence and thus restricting his senses from external engagements, he recovered suitable words with which to express his feelings. Thus, he began offering prayers to the Lord, who is the personification of the Holy Scriptures the Sattva Sanghitas like Brahma Sanghita and the Narada Pancharatra, and who is the spiritual master of all. He offered his prayers as follows. Now here are the amazing prayers of Chitraketu. So the first one, Chitraketu said, O unconquerable Lord, although you cannot be conquered by anyone, you are certainly conquered by devotees who have control, who have control of the mind and senses. They can keep you under their control because you are causelessly merciful to devotees who desire no material profit from you. Indeed, you give yourself to them. And because of this, you have full control over your devotees. So in purport, I'll read the first paragraph. Well, actually, I'm going to read quite a bit of this purport because it's just so special. Um, the Lord and the devotees are both conquered. That's interesting, right? Uh, both, uh, uh, both conquer. Mm, how does that happen? The Lord is conquered by the devotees, and the devotees are conquered by the Lord. Because of being conquered by one another, they both derive transcendental bliss from their relationship. 
The highest perfection of this mutual conquering is exhibited by Krishna and the gopis. The gopis conquered Krishna, and Krishna conquered the gopis. Thus, whenever Krishna played his flute, he conquered the minds of the gopis, and without seeing the gopis, Krishna could not be happy. Other transcendentalists, such as Ganis and yogis, cannot conquer the Supreme Personality of God, and only pure devotees can conquer him. Pure devotees are described as samamati, which means that they never deviate from devotional service under any circumstances. It is not that devotees worship the Supreme Lord only when happy. They worship him even when in distress. Happiness and distress do not hamper the process of devotional service. Therefore, Srimad Bhagavatam says that devotional service is unmotivated and uninterrupted. When a devotee offers devotional service to the Lord without any motive, his service cannot be hampered by any material condition. Thus, the devotee who offers service in all conditions of life can conquer the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And the last paragraph, all the activities of their senses are engaged in the service of the Lord. Because of such devotion, the Lord gives himself to his devotees as if they could use him for any purpose they might desire. Of course, devotees have no purpose other than to serve. When a devotee fully surrenders and has no aspirations for material profit, the Lord certainly gives him all opportunities for service. This is the position of the Lord when conquered by his devotees. Hmm. So this conquering, I was thinking that one way to look at it, there's so many ways to look at it, is, is Krishna feels conquered when he can really trust the devotee. And trust, I mean, a very deep devotional trust, not just, you know, showing up for an appointment on time. <laughs> uh, but the unflinching trust is one way Prabhupada uh, translates uh, a Bengali saying, Sarva Karma Kritahoy. Because um, Krishna's very smart. He's not going to allow himself to be conquered by just anyone, right? He's only going to give his, give, you know, give everything so that the devotee can even control him to someone who has no other desire than to please him. I was thinking about that in terms of conquering. And then there's, well, okay, any thoughts or questions on that before we go on to the other point? Well, you know, I always think of when, when I hear the term conquered, I always think of the, um, the prayer for the Bhagavatam, this is our means of conquest. Mm. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's in the first canto. Again, if we had uh, Suganda here, it would already be posted. <laughs> yes, uh, it's also that verse is uh, quoted in the introduction to every Bhagavatam. Does anyone know how it starts? I can't, I'm just going blank, but uh, I, I know the verse. But I'm just going blank. Okay. Um, Now, the other thing about conquering is, oh, any, any other points about this whole point? You know, Krishna is conquered by the gopis and the gopis are conquered by Krishna. Hare Krishna Prabhu. So there is a perverted reflection that people can easily relate in this material world, right? Boy and girl meet and they fall in love. That's conquering each other. So that's a win-win situation. And of course, yeah. this is perverted reflection. <laughs> so it's easy to understand because Srila Prabhupada used the example of gopis and Krishna. So it becomes so apparent. Mm. 
Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, of course it is. Narayanam namaskritya naram chayvam narotamam devim sarasvatim vyasam tatojayam udiraya. This is the uh, right in the beginning of the Bhagavatam. Before reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the very means of conquest, one should offer respectful obeisances unto the personality of Godhead Narayana, unto Narayan Rishi, the supermost human beings, under Mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, and unto Srila Vyasadeva, the author. So there's also a famous, another famous verse that uses this uh, concept of conquering. Um, it's from the 10th canto, 14th chapter, verse number 3. And here's the part about conquering. One who, even while remaining situated in their established social positions, Throw away the process of speculative knowledge and with their body, words, and minds offer all respects to descriptions of your personality and activities. Dedicating their lives to their, these narrations, which are vibrated by, your, by you personally and by your pure devotees. Those people certainly conquer your lordship, although you are otherwise unconquerable by anyone within the three worlds. So one who focuses on hearing and chanting about Krishna, he, that he or she conquers the Lord. So it's also a famous verse because uh, Lord Chaitanya quotes it, Stane stita, stay in your position. You don't have to take sannyas, you know, in a hurry and this and that. But shruti gatam, spend your time hearing about Krishna. So any, any other points about conquering it's quite an amazing idea when you think about that. God, the supreme, full of all six opulences, can be conquered. And Jiva Taprabhu's point is well taken, especially when we think of, um, well, yeah, we think of sometimes people just become overwhelmed by their attraction and they're being conquered by um, someone that they're attracted to. You know, now, uh, what was that? Uh, <laughs> there was a, Henry will probably remember this, maybe uh, Andy. Um, there was a, a play called Guys and Dolls, right? And uh, one of the things, you know, I, I'm trying to remember some of the lines, but, you know, when you see a gent paying all kinds of rent for a flat that would flatten the Taj Mahal, Call it sad, call it funny, but it's better than even money that the guy's only doing it for some doll. <laughs> right? In other words, he's spending all this money for this place <laughs> um, because he's uh, attracted to, you know, the guy for the, a doll. Now, of course, if you call the woman a doll these days, it would be considered, but in, I guess that came out in the 50s or 60s, that, uh, that play. A musical wasn't just about a musical, yeah. So, um, and, and it goes on for you know describing that you know the guy's only doing it for some doll, <laughs> and that's the uh, theme song. So we see that that we will, uh, you know, somebody that you 
you know, until you're 20 or 25 years old, you never met. And then you get married to them and then you leave all your, you know, fortunes to them in your will or something like that. You know, you're just like, they're, they've conquered you. So now we want to be conquered by Krishna. We want to uh, have that. That's also mentioned in the, I think, uh, Jiva Tathrabhu was referring to it, that, the, uh, that Rupa Goswami prays that just as a young man is attracted to the young woman, may my attraction to you be in the same way. So, yes, it's a good, it's a, thank you for that, Jiva. It's a good, uh, it's a good metaphor. Other thoughts on this? Any other musicals you want to quote? Uh, I remember that one because I, <laughs> as a devotee, I remember that that just has such a, uh, it says it all. <laughs> Anything I else? Think that, I, think yes, I think that's why the Roman Empire was so successful because you had all these poor peasants, right? And you get conquered by the Romans and all of a sudden hey, you're getting paved streets, you're getting a bath, you know, like for 10 cents, you can go take a hot bath. You didn't have anything before, so uh, it's it's not bad being conquered. <laughs> yeah. If you're conquered by something great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't, I don't, I'm not so aware of that history, but uh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, there were, I mean, all these aqueducts and things that still, you can still see in Italy and Spain and everything, stuff that they built thousands of years ago. Those, most people had nothing back then. You were either super rich or, you know, you were a peasant back then. Well, that's interesting because also Prabhupada will talk about that in terms of a king and duty that, yes, people are paying taxes, um, but, the, but a, the proper government, you'll feel that you're getting much, much more for your tax dollars, so to speak, um, than what you paid in taxes. So something similar, that's what good management would be like. Yeah. Yeah. Let uh, Krishna manage your life, and then you'll find out that, hey, this is pretty good being taken over by that. Yes, yes. Yeah, what do they say? You know, the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot, right? The bumper sticker. <laughs> but even better, you better, I guess, say God is my pilot. I'm not the, I'm, you know, I'm the servant, not the co-pilot. <laughs> Anything else? Okay, then let's... Uh, oh, Henry, you want to say something? No? Okay. All right, then let us carry on. We are going up to verse 39 now. 35. My dear Lord, this cosmic... Man this is all the prayers of Chitraketu. What amazing realizations he has, right? This cosmic manifestation, its creation, maintenance, and annihilation are all but your opulences. Since Lord Brahma and the other... Creators are nothing but small portions of a portion of you. Their partial power to create does not make them God. Their consciousness of themselves as separate lords is therefore merely false prestige. It is not valid. You, you exist in the beginning, middle, and end of everything. From the most minute particle of the cosmic manifestation, the atom, to the gigantic universes and total material energy. Nonetheless, you are eternal, having the, no beginning, no middle or end, uh, no end or middle. You are perceived to exist in these three phases, and thus you are permanent. When the cosmic manifestation does not exist, you exist as the original potency. 
Every universe is covered by seven layers, earth, water, fire, air, sky, the total energy and false ego, each 10 times greater than the previous one. There are innumerable universes besides this one, and although they are unlimitedly large, they move about like atoms in you. Therefore, you are called unlimited, Ananta. O Lord, the Supreme, O Supreme, unintelligent persons who thirst for sense enjoyment and who worship various demigods are no better than animals in the human form of life. Because of their animalistic propensities, they fail to worship your lordship. And instead, they worship the insignificant demigods who are but small sparks of your glory. With the destruction of the entire universe, including the demigods, the benedictions received from the demigods also vanish, just like the nobility when a king is no longer in power. And in 39, O Supreme Lord, if persons obsessed with material desires for sense gratification through material opulence worship you, who are the source of all knowledge and are transcendental to material qualities, they are not subject to material rebirth, just as sterilized or fried seeds do not produce plants. Living entities are subjected to the repetition of birth and death because they are conditioned by material nature. But since you are transcendental, one who is inclined to associate with you is in transcendence, escapes the conditions of material nature. And in the purport, Prabhupada writes that if one simply engages in Krishna consciousness to understand Krishna, he surely becomes immune. There's that immune. What was the word before, Andy, that you were focusing? It wasn't immune. It was something Contamination. else. Contamination. Contamination, yeah. yeah. Immune to the process of repeated birth and death. As clearly stated in Bhagavad Gita, Taktva Deham Punar Janmanaiti. Such a person, simply by engaging in Krishna consciousness or understanding the Supreme Personality of God and Krishna, becomes quite fit to return home back to God. Even those who are obsessed with material desires, now listen to this, Prabhupada is being very liberal in this purport. Even those who are obsessed with material desires may also come to worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead so steadily that they go back to Godhead. The fact is that if one comes to Krishna consciousness, although he may have many material desires, he becomes increasingly attracted to the lotus feet of Krishna through association with the Supreme Lord. How? By chanting his holy name. The Supreme Lord and his holy name are identical. Thus, he becomes uninterested in attachment to material enjoyment. Perfection of life is, so that's, you see how that's the different way of looking at it than the verse that we studied earlier. Here it says that, um, um, when one chants the holy name, then he becomes uninterrupted, uninterested in attachment to material enjoyment. Hmm. So in this verse, uh, yeah, so I was, simple point, I mean, not simple point, but Prabhupada is being very liberal here. He's, you know, akama sarva kama uva moksha kama uttarati chavena bhakti yogena yajeta purushapuram. That, that whether you're full of material desires, you have no material desires, you desire liberation, tivrena bhakti yogina, engage in devotional service with intensity. And even if you have material desires and, and you're, you're struggling with this, you're struggling that the one thing never to do is don't give up devotional service because that's the purifying thing that will bring us to the right platform at some point or other, even if it's not today. Because, you know, so it's, you know, we we may get discouraged, we may, you know, break one of the regulated principles or do this or that. 
the idea is not to wallow in self-pity, but to engage in devotional service. This is also mentioned very nicely in, let me see if I can get it. It's a chapter, it's, we've quoted this before, Canto 11, chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. Having awakened, having awakened faith in the narrations of my glories, being disgusted with all material activities, knowing that all sense gratification leads to misery, but still being unable to renounce all sense enjoyment, my devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. Even though he is sometimes engaged in sense enjoyment, my devotee knows that all sense gratification leads to a miserable result and he sincerely repents such activities. So engage in devotional service, engage in that which will purify our heart. Even at this point, we're not so pure. Um, that's the purport of this purport, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Some questions or comments on this? I got a thumbs up from Henry. I feel very good now. It still seems like a big stumbling block that you shouldn't enjoy anything, and that is the ultimate goal. Well, yes. If you look at, if you put it the way you word it, yes. <laughs> like, how about if we reframe that? Okay. How about if we frame that to, oh, the ultimate goal is to fall in complete love of Krishna. Oh, that's nice. You to gain that, yeah, and lose yeah. the other stuff. The other yeah. thing automatically goes away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you for that, though, Andy. Yeah, reframing is an important thing in life. Look at something from another angle of vision. In my, in my work, in my in conflict resolution, that's often something we do. Other thoughts on this? Okay, then let's see. We have 12 more minutes. And the next verse is 41. Oh, this is an interesting one. Okay, so we'll do 40 and then 41. Oops, I have to go back to verse 40. Oh, unconquered one, when you spoke about Bhagavad Dharma, which is the uncontaminated religious system for achieving the shelter of your lotus feet, that was your victory. Persons who have no material desires, like the Kumaras, who are self-satisfied sages, worship you to be liberated from material contamination. In other words, they accept the process of Bhagavata Dharma to achieve shelter at your lotus feet. Being uh, full of contradictions, all forms of religion but Bhagavata Dharma work under conceptions of fruitive results and distinctions of I, you and I, and yours and mine. The followers of Srimad Bhagavatam have no such consciousness. They are all Krishna conscious, thinking that they are Krishna's and Krishna's, Krishna is theirs. There are other low-class religious systems which are contemplated by the killing of enemies or the gain of mystic power. But such religious systems being full of passion and envy are impure and temporary. Because they are full of envy, they are full of irreligion. And Prabhupada's purport begins by saying, Bhagavad Dharma has no contradictions. So let's try to, when we read this, try to see things from Prabhupada's vision and not from ours. So he says, okay, Bhagavad Dharma, there's no such contradictions. Conceptions of your religion and my religion are completely absent from Bhagavad Dharma. 
Bhagavad Dharma means following the orders given by the Supreme Lord, Bhagavan. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, Sarva Dharman Prajagyamam Ekam Sharanam God is one, and God is for every one. Therefore, everyone must surrender to God. That is the pure conception of religion. Whatever God orders constitutes religion. Dharman to Shakshat Bhagavat Pranitam. In Bhagavad Dharma, there's no question of what you believe and what I believe. Everyone must believe in the Supreme Lord and carry out his orders. Anukul Yena, Krishna, Anushilinam. Whatever Krishna says, whatever God says, should be directly carried out. That is dharma. That is religion. So, yeah, so, I mean, one way to look at this is whatever, you know, what you believe, what I believe is, let's not get so into the details of um, the rituals, because there's different rituals in different parts of the world, but do you accept God? Do you accept that God's a person? Do you accept that you're a servant of God? Those basic things are clearly um, Bhagavad Dharma, regardless of some of the details, you know. Um, okay, let's continue. If one is actually Krishna conscious, he can have, he cannot have any enemies, since his only engagement is to induce others to surrender to Krishna or God. How can he have enemies? If one advocates the Hindu religion, the Muslim religion, the Christian religion, this religion or that religion, there will be conflicts. History shows that the followers of religious systems without a clear conception of God had fought with one another. There are many instances of this in human society, but systems of religion that do not concentrate upon service to the Supreme are temporary and cannot last for long because they are full of envy. There are many activities directed against such religious systems, and therefore one must give up the idea of my belief and your belief. Everyone should believe in God and surrender to him, serve him. That is Bhagavad Dharma. So a lot of things to be said here. One is, so that's that's how we... We so it's it's an interesting question. It's where it's something for us to contemplate that we don't want to say we're right and everyone else is wrong. No, anyone who has accepted, like I said, there is God. God is a person, and our goal and our duty or our identity is one of servant to God. That is that is wonderful, and Prabhupada on many occasions, will encourage that kind of consciousness. And the challenge is that we also, on a different level, we also know, I think it's fair to say, and this, I hope this doesn't sound proud, that other religions, where they may have that, those kind of basic you know, understandings, um, they don't know Vrindavan, <laughs> right? They don't know some of the higher understandings of the personality of Godhead and his and and how like we just read about it he's conquered by the love of of his intimate devotees and he likes to even be ordered around by his mother right and, and the mother Yashoda things like that and the other tricky thing is that we'll find in other um, in in some religions that they'll get part of it right from from a Bhagavad Dharma point of view they'll get part of it right and part of it not so right, right? Like they, they'll, they'll get it right that, yeah, okay, they may accept God as a person. There is God. We're his servants. 
and then they'll still won't see all living entities as part of guys. So they'll eat meat or, you know, kill uh, animals unnecessarily. So they'll get some of it right. Some of it. So it's, it's a little tricky, but Prabhupada would, especially um, I, if you read the initiation lectures that he gave, um, and he talks about the first offense to blasphemy the devotees. So listen to this. Uh, this was um, 1968. So his servant, Madhavisa Prabhu, was saying, the 10 offenses to avoid, well, for those who may not be familiar, during an initiation, usually Prabhupada would go over the 10 offenses to avoid enchanting the holy name. So Madhavisa. The 10 offenses to avoid while chanting the Maha Mantra. Number one, blasting the Lord's devotees. Prabhupada speaking. Now just try to understand. Any devotee of Lord should not be blasphemed. It doesn't matter in any country. Just like Lord Jesus Christ, he is a great devotee. And even Muhammad, he is also a devotee. It is not that because we are devotee and they are not devotee. Don't think like that. Anyone who is preaching the glories of God, he is devotee. He should not be blasphemed. You should be careful. And then in another initiation, um, also the same year, a little later, so Revatinandan Prabhu is at that time Maharaj writing the 10 offenses to avoid enchanting the Maha Mantra. The first is blaspheming the devotee of the Lord. Prabhupada. This is very important. Blaspheming the devotees. The, the Lord's devotees in many countries, many places, just like Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. He's also devotee. Muhammad, he's also devotee of Lord. So it is not that because we are Krishna conscious, we shall unnecessarily decry any other parts? Can you hear me, by the way? Yeah, okay. My internet said it was unstable. Um, where was I? Uh, we shall not unnecessarily decry any other parts or any other devotee. It may be according to time, place, and country. The method may be different. But anyone who is preaching devotion to God, he's a devotee of God. So he should never be blasphemed. So... You know, so religion, real religion, Bhagavad Dharma, is to serve God favorably. And like I said, it's a little tricky when things become a bit of a kitri, when some of uh, one religion's things is in that mood and others are not. Mm. And how do we deal with my religions better than your religion? Um, well, one way is, like I said, you know, we, we take this definition from Rupa Goswami, Anyabi Lashita Sunyam, that we approach God just with devotion and not with, uh, you know, buy me a new car or trying to merge with him like that. Um, one other point about demigod worship. So this is uh, from the, the book Surrender, uh, not Surrender to Me, uh, My Glorious Master. So one morning, this was in Hong Kong, the head priest of the Hindu temple in Hong Kong came to visit Prabhupada. After exchanging superficialities, he respectfully invited Prabhupada to visit his mandir. Prabhupada nodded his head in acceptance and the priest sat, was satisfied and he left. And then the devotee, Prabhupada, visit the Hindu temple? I, th I thought, what will be the gain? This is what he thought. Uh, the priest, the friendly priest is a Mayavadi. Prabhupada, do you really want to visit the temple? That's what he said. And Prabhupada said, why not? He has invited me. But they worship Lord Shiva in the temple, the devotee said. Prabhupada said, and you tell them not to worship Lord Shiva? Prabhupada's eyes opened wide. He raised his voice, hinting that a thunderbolt was awaiting me. <laughs> uh, but Prabhupada, they worship him 
uh, they worship Shiva as the supreme personality of Godhead. Prabhupada said, oh, okay, then we should not go. So, so Prabhupada wasn't against having the appropriate worship of Lord Shiva and not to disrespect devotees, what to speak of, disrespect the great Lord Shiva, but not that he's on the same level as the Supreme Personality of God. So there was a few things about uh, um, the way we want to uh, understand Bhagavad Dharma and in light of other religious systems. So some questions or comments. Who wrote that thing from Hong Kong? Very jumperable. It's from the book, uh, My Glorious Master. Some thoughts on this? I did have a thought about Lord Shiva because I thought about this. Okay. I think even when everything dissolves, right, it goes back into Krishna. Right. right? And that cycle. But every time when Shiva comes back, he remembers everything. So he, he doesn't lose any of his past life. So he's no. very, very eternal in that way. Totally. Yeah. It, you know, the, the, the example is milk and yogurt, right? Yogurt is just transformed milk, but it's slightly different. So Krishna is compared to milk. Lord Shiva is compared to yogurt. So very, yeah. Yeah, Lord Shiva is the, mo- the most powerful and the most, uh, um, but we understand Vaishnavanam Yuta Shambhu, that Lord Shiva is the greatest Vaishnava. Oh, yeah, you don't want to mess around with Lord Shiva. When he <laughs> does it. Yes, uh, Jiva. So, again, uh, Lord Shiva's body is Sachidananda. That's one point. He's changeless, he's all cognizant, and he possesses all mystic perfections, and he's ever fresh. Mm. Right, like you said, you know, milk and yogurt. So, he's not one of the living entities like us. <laughs> he's uh, right. Vishnu Tattva in contact with Mayas, which leads to the transformation as Shiv Tattva. Yes, correct. Yes. So there's three things that are inconceivable. Um, guru Tattva, because Guru is simultaneously a human being and the representative of God. Lord Shiva, who, like, like you just said, is simultaneously practically Krishna, but not. And what was the third one? There's the third one also. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it's the Dom, Dom Tattva. I'll check on that for next week. So our time is up. We didn't finish all the verses, but we came close. And maybe, maybe we will finish this very important chapter next week. I think you noticed that this was our 201st <laughs> class. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, 201st class. So uh, have a very wonderful Krishna conscious uh, week and we will see you all next week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Prabhuji. Thank you, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.